whenever I think people want to break into an industry, it can often help to focus on new shiny because yeah. there's just less competition. <laughs> and the downside is that you don't have as much context, right? So you do got to do the work to right. go back in time and look at history and look at like uh, old discussions yeah. to see where to place this in context. Machines are so fast and stores are so big that they give us plenty of latitude to screw things up. The shell or which is the name we give to the command interpreter. So the operator got a pair of tweezers and very carefully fished the moth out of the relay. Because you've all read the mythical man month. And the best motivator in the world for programming is, is scratching your niche. Developers, 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 developers. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sourcecraft Podcast. My name is Biang and on this show we talk with the people behind amazing dev tools and developer experience. Open source authors, maintainers, DevEx engineers inside forward-thinking companies, developer advocates and educators, founders of DevTool companies, anyone and everyone who brings joy and delight into our lives as programmers. We talk about their work, we talk about their lives, we talk about their vision of what lies ahead for the world of code. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to another edition of the Sourcecraft Podcast. I'm Biang again. Today I'm here with Sean Wang, also known as Swix Online. Uh, Swix is the co-founder of Svelte Society, which fosters the community around Svelte.js around the world. Uh, he also grew the team of moderators that runs the React subreddit, is a prominent member of that community. Um, and he's also a prominent member of the Learn in Public movement. Uh, and he shares his insights on learning and leveling up in code uh, with everyone. Uh, he's the author of the Coding Career Handbook, a book about how to grow from a junior to a senior developer. And he's written a ton of great blog posts, some of which we'll hopefully get into, uh, that range from topics like the state of the JavaScript ecosystem to the economics of API development. He's worked on developer experience at Netlify, AWS, and now Temporal. And he also has a great podcast and newsletter, which you all should uh, subscribe to. So with that, uh, Swix, welcome to the show. That was a great intro, Vian. Thank you. Uh, it's an honor to be on. Awesome. So, you know, before we get into like all that, um, I always like to start out by asking folks, you know, like for, for you, uh, the journey into programming in the world of code, uh, how did that start? Yeah, I have one of those multiple stutter stop starts. So this yeah. is a complicated question for me. And uh <laughs> I, I'm not too not super super proud of it, but it's just the truth, and I think there are a lot of people like me. So happy yeah. to tell that story. Um, I guess I, the first interacted with code when I was like 12 ish. Uh, we had like a basic, like a Q basic course in school, and uh, I should have picked up on the on the clues because we like we we were assigned to do like a basic like a stack in, in interpreter or like a, a stack program where we could yeah. you know pop things on and off the stack. Yeah, uh, and I was the only one that. Uh, implemented a, a graphical user interface on top of my implementation. Everyone else did wow. uh, just like a simple CLI. I made a CLI in the UI. Uh, so I made a UI in the CLI to to visualize the stack. Uh, oh, and, awesome. and then I stopped there. <laughs> uh, because I was, I You're was, like, oh, that was cool. That was a fun project. That's all I can do with it. And then I just went back to like playing Game Boy or something. Um, and it's... <laughs> I should have just taken the hint that like I was interested in UI and I could go further than than my peers. Yeah. But anyway, so so I um, didn't really touch programming. I think the other thing that probably a lot of people also resonate with was that I just didn't see myself uh, like the other hackers. Um, I saw mm. some of my friends who were programmers 
getting in very early, uh, just hammering away on the on the terminal, right? And I didn't know yeah. all this these bash commands. Yeah, yeah and yeah. I was just like, yeah, I'm I'm not like them. I don't know any anything that they know, so that, that that's probably not me. Yeah, uh, and so so I fell into a different path, which was finance, um, and that's that was my first career. And this was very much in the context of the Great Recession, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. just seeing how badly everyone, everything was mismanaged and how much we had to learn about finance. And also yeah. wanting to be independent of the economic cycle uh, yeah. because uh, I kind of saw, saw hedge funds as the only way in which you could profit from from things going down. Like a downturn. Uh, yeah, like most yeah. of the economy is tied to... Uh, tied to you know things go just like just yeah. positive beta but you, you know in, in a hedge fund you can actually switch to a negative beta so i basically yeah. set from from my high school days set a goal for myself to work at a hedge fund uh over the next like 10-ish years i achieved that but mm-hmm. um uh, in the process like you also start to learn to code and this is uh, this is the weird thing that's also becoming more and more true in the finance world yeah uh if you're young in finance, you basically become a, a programmer uh, just because huh. just because the the older people don't want to learn it, so they throw all the coding related stuff to to the juniors, um, <laughs> and of course they don't have a budget to to hire you know like a dedicated programmer. Sure. Um, so you so I started with VBA, you know, just to automate Excel, and then uh, pro- and then Excel you hit some limits, and you know it's it's a it's a very crude language. So then you go to Python, um, yeah. and then I was doing currency derivatives trading. So I did uh, Haskell, and people always impressed that really? I learned Haskell and did production Haskell for two years, <laughs> <laughs> and I and I didn't I didn't That's consider amazing. myself a programmer uh, just because I didn't I didn't have a choice that the house language the house library for calculating option pricing was in Haskell. Really. Uh, so so, yeah, yeah, standard charted. Uh, it's pretty funny because, like, I think basically one guy got a job there and then just pulled in the entire, like, Haskell core team uh, to work there. <laughs> and and I, I, at some point, like, standard charted, like, the, the whole bank was just pot committed. They, they, like, had built so much infrastructure and then they just couldn't. So, like, it, it was, wow, it's pretty funny, like, how, how you embed a language community within a, within a company and kind of don't give them a choice. This is a very yeah. similar thing that Jordan Walk did at Reason. In fa- for reason, ML and Facebook. Mm. Uh, now, now they're called Rescript uh, because if you just bu- use it to build production infrastructure, then they now rely on it. Um, yeah, and that's a very <laughs> fun trick to to grow a language. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I, I never considered like I, I and just to be clear, like I did this, I built tools that I could use for myself, right? Yep. Um, so I did not consider myself a programmer. Uh, I, although I, I could code, uh, it was like 5% of my job rather than like 90% of my job. Right. So, yep. uh, that's the way that I would frame it. Um, uh, and eventually I think what I realized was I, I was a code monk. I was like a script monkey. Like I would okay. run analysis, you know, do a lot of number crunching and then my boss would be like, but what about this other scenario? And then I would have to go do that, go do a different scenario again. And I realized I that I was kind of the bottleneck for my code, uh, no matter how much how well I did, yeah. uh, I was the sort of data analyst, like sort of punching away at the the, the thing. And I yeah. wanted to do user interfaces. That that's the real, um, that's the real unlock for turning business logic into into product products essentially yeah. right? that that anyone yeah. could use. Uh, so then I pivoted hard into JavaScript, uh, and that was actually harder to learn than Haskell, I would say. Really? Because it's a very incompatible and confusing ecosystem. Haskell is a very <laughs> small user base. Everything yeah. is functionally typed. Like there's very strong guarantees. JavaScript yeah. is none of that, right? Like when, when I was learning it, it was still like, is this ES5? Like I, <laughs> um, we're going into ES6, like, but you have yeah. to transpile this here. And then like there's node that's different from <laughs> the browser stuff. Yeah. It's just all getting a dev environment set up. Just 
so many options. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I did, I did free code camp to, to kind of learn it nights and weekends. Um, yeah. and then eventually, uh, decided like I need, I need professional help. So I paid for a boot camp. Um, and, and that started my dev career. Uh, I started out in wow. two Sigma. Um, and when you do a career transition like that from finance to tech, uh, the general advice I give people is to trade in like, kind of like your used experience to, to for your new one. Uh, so, you, so I, you know, I, I managed to not start exactly from zero because huh. I could say that I could tell a story of like, Hey, I, I used to work in finance, but I want to switch to, to dev now. Right, um, right. You you can use someone like of my background because I, I know finance really well, uh, yeah. but I'm I'm a newer dev, uh, so so that's what Two Sigma hired me for, and then completely did not use the finance experience. <laughs> like you tell one story when when you you know to get the job, and then, sure, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. they uh, completely mismanage you. Um, so <laughs> so I was very bored. Uh, then that's when I started the, the whole learning public thing because I think uh, huh. in finance that's the other story as well, uh, which is. In finance, it, everything's very private because it's a very zero-sum field. You don't want to share yeah. your secrets. Right. Whereas in tech, you're, you're fundamentally more open. Uh, and I was very frustrated with, with uh, within Two Sigma because we weren't moving uh, at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Not even like fast enough. We just mo- weren't moving at all. Uh, yeah. So I just started getting active in the New York tech scene. Uh, and New York City is, is a hmm. big part of my coming up story, which is I started giving, doing talks and writing blog posts uh, and just generally plugging into what everyone else was doing. And yeah. I, 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 generally, I generally view this as like career advice for people as well. Like uh, sometimes a lot, if you if you only depend on your mentors at work, uh, then you're, you're, it's kind of like the roll of the dice, of like whether you got good mentors or not. But if you sure. build a network yeah. externally, then you can pick your mentors and, and that's a much wider field. Um, yeah, yeah, and so yeah. that's that's what happened to me. Uh, you know, I, I started doing a lot of work on React, um, and, and um, so I got involved in the the React subreddit. Helped to grow to, uh, I think, from like thirty thousand members to two hundred and twenty thousand, and then I left. Yeah, um, and then uh, started getting into developer relations. So uh, Netlify hired me to do DevRel, and then I joined AWS. I did that for two years, and then AWS, uh, and now I'm head of DX at Temporal. That's yeah. the, that's a long story of awesome. my life. <laughs> That's such a like whirlwind. Uh, I think like the first question I want to ask is like going from finance to uh, just like open source uh, JavaScript communities. Like that's a, that's a pretty big leap. And I feel like finance is, um, I mean, it's, it's a well compensated field, right? So like a, a lot of people might be wondering yeah. like, how did you develop the kind of conviction or, or the courage to go and make such a, a big leap, especially since, you know, by, a lot of people's standards, you probably had it like, you know, pretty good, at least from a financial economic point of view. Yeah, I probably made more. So I, I think my first year at the hedge fund that was at Ballyazny, uh, I made 350K. Um, yeah. And I, I would I would be making much more now. Um, and so, so I would have made more in my finance career. Yeah. But I really genuinely realized that money wasn't everything. And I just yeah. wasn't enjoying the job. Uh, and uh, I wasn't like... I wasn't bad, but I wasn't going to be a rock star in the industry. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we had an analyst ranking and I came like dead middle, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, I'm working so hard. You know, there were some nights I slept under the table. Uh, and then the, the real breaking point for me was I started having a heart attack about heart palpitation about one of my positions where there was like an earnings call the next day. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. And I realized that if I had a heart attack and died, uh, doing this job. Oh, like you had a literal like uh, uh, palpitations. Uh, like, oh, like it, oh, it, wow. it started getting like a really. I, I just got so stressed out, and that's crazy. I was alone in my bed, and I was just like, okay, if this <laughs> develops into a full on heart attack because of because of my unhealthy lifestyle plus stress. Yeah. Um, 
what's the point? <laughs> yeah. Health is so, everything. Yeah. So, so that, that was really my, my like breaking point. I was just like, okay, uh, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I can, uh, I've enjoyed, always enjoyed this, like making the tools for finance for myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and people have always said like, this is something that I, I contribute a lot of value on. And then yeah. the finance part, like, you know, it pays well, but I also don't super enjoy it and it's very high stress. Maybe yeah. I just go all in, all in on the tech side. So yeah. uh, that's that's one thing. The second thing is I actually did, a, I spent a year as a non-technical PM uh, mm. at a fintech startup before making the, the, the leap mm. to full developer. So Got it. I, I actually took this very slowly. A lot of a lot of people would have just gone cold turkey right there, but um, yeah, I, yeah. I did one year as a non-technical PM and I did free code camp to prove to myself that I could complete a coding curriculum uh, cool. before deciding to take the full-time leap awesome so like methodical and uh with kind of eyes wide open i like it <laughs> yeah well you know i was i was giving up a lot you know yeah the, the finance yeah. career like I, I i worked so hard since high school to to get to a hedge yeah. fund only to arrive and realize that <laughs> it wasn't something i really wanted to do so yeah it was a um you know i, I can still go back if i want to but now yeah. i don't so <laughs> yeah well i'm sure like i'm super thankful and i'm sure a lot of other people who've kind of learned from from you are like super glad that you made the transition so um thank you for doing that and i think and- a lot yeah I, it's it's funny because like you often think like uh when, when people say you know money isn't everything you, you think they're full of it but yeah it's really true <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, it's like there, you know, that meme where it's like the bell curve, and it's like mm-hmm. you know, on one, it's like money isn't everything, and in the middle, it's like, oh yeah, you know, make as much money as possible. But then, like on the other end of it, it's like, yeah, money isn't everything. Uh, there's yeah, there's a lot yeah. to there, like. There's a lot of bell curves. I, I've I've actually written a blog post about how <laughs> pervasive the bell curve meme is in a lot of parts of our life. Yeah, um, and I don't know. I think basically what that entails is like there are countervailing factors that underlie the bell curve that mm. contribute to the end result of, of the bell curve yeah anyway. yeah <laughs> cool so like tell tell me about you know getting into uh react because uh, you know one of the things i like about you is you have such a multi-dimensional aspect to what you do you do development uh you do community building uh you do a, a fair amount of uh like writing uh and and talking about kind of like high level trends and, and ideas um, so for you, you know, as a, a person who's like new to the, um, I guess like JavaScript world, how did you get into the React uh, ecosystem? And specifically, you know, how did you become one of the moderators of the the React uh, subreddit? Oh yeah, I can tell that story. So uh, you know, we we talked about how I realized that building UI is kind of the unlock for creating products. Yeah. Um, and and that you know sparked an eventual journey towards web development and JavaScript and, and front end. Yeah. And of course, React is that predominant front-end framework. Um, yeah. I actually started with Vue because uh, I thought that Vue.js was just way easier to get started with. It looks more like HTML. Uh, yeah. And uh, But then I realized that all the jobs were in React. So I just pivoted and, and learned <laughs> Got the it. most popular framework. Yeah. And that's really it. Yeah, React is the most predominant framework, most amount of jobs, and most uh, biggest ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So I figured, you know, uh, other people can learn it. I can learn it too. I eventually got over all the the learning hurdles, but I, I definitely say it was harder to learn than Vue.js. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think that got me my first job at Two Sigma. And then getting into the community was a matter of me being bored at work and wanting more pr- professional growth. Mm. Um, and so getting involved in the React New York City meetups was really important to me. Yeah, And then writing uh, blog posts about the new stuff that was coming out in React, like 
it just yeah. so happened that when I was when I was starting to write blog posts, that uh, React had announced this new feature that was uh, originally called async async React, and now now it's called concurrent React. And uh, it was a big deal at the time. No, no one really knew what it was. So I, all I did was, as a new person, just going over the demos line by line and really explaining and understanding these concepts, and then just repeating that for the next three years. <laughs> it turned out that it wasn't going to be released for another three years. It's still not fully released today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when whenever I think people want to break into an industry, it can often help to focus on new shiny because yeah. there's just less. Thing less competition, <laughs> and uh, yeah. a lot a lot of people, you know, the the downside is that you don't have as much context, right? So you do got to do the work to right. go back in time and look at history and look at like uh, old discussions, yeah, to see where to place this in context. Uh, yeah. The upside is you just have more time to spend on this new stuff than everyone else who's actually working on real production stuff, right? And right. so you have to respect that dynamic, which is that you're you're just like like a journalist you know, uh, trying to interpret what's, what's going on as it happens. Yeah. And you're not going to know everything and that's okay. Uh, and, and, uh, I think, I think the other part, which I, I accidentally stumbled into, there's this philosophy, which I call pick up what you put down, pick, uh, pick up what others put down, uh, which is mm-hmm. if you want to guarantee a response from people, when you write blogs or tweets, mm-hmm. right, just write about what they're doing. Right. Hmm. <laughs> There's nothing people are more interested in than uh, their own their, themselves or their it's work. Like find someone else doing some like piece of work that you find interesting, and then just yeah, write your write perspective on that. And it should be it should be something recent and new, uh, yeah. because they are they'll be very keen to read what you think, what you came away from. Yeah. Even if it's wrong, and if it's wrong, they'll they'll, they'll correct you. But yeah. what they won't do is ignore you. <laughs> which uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of people when they create content, uh, they struggle yeah. to get noticed. Right. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. so I'm not saying, I'm not saying to intentionally like try to provoke people with like sensational takes, um, but to really genuinely like be a partner, be a, be a, be a collaborator a conversation. even exactly. Yeah. Start a conversation with the people working on interesting stuff, like uh, in, including startups, right? Like I, I make it a habit to, to shout out startups that do interesting work. And yeah. I'm sure every single startup has a Slack channel that monitors the Twitter mentions, you know, yeah, and yep. I'm sure everyone reads it. And, and, you know, if they say something really good, you'll retweet it. And if, if and if it's something wrong, you'll just correct it. Yep. And that's just how this works. And, and if you do that often enough and you show that you're progressing with a good slope of learning, um, you become known as someone who uh, just genuinely learns well and, and yeah. is a good member of the community. And then people are incentivized to work with you because you then amplify their message, right? Like I'm trying to get some message out there. Uh, but I, I, you know, you, you, for example, mm-hmm. you have the burden of knowledge. Like you're, you're an expert in this topic and you right. only use terminology that makes sense to you, makes right. you look smart. Uh, whereas I don't have any of that ego. Um, I can just look as stupid as I want and, and, <laughs> and use terminology that would make sense to a total beginner. Um, so yeah. that there's a, it, it's a, it's a really uh, interesting phenomenon where you can turn ignorance into power uh, instead of knowledge. Yeah. And I, I, I definitely find a lot of that theme in my work. <laughs> yeah. And this kind of feeds into the whole value of learning in public too. And, and I like, I like that aspect of it because I think, you know, when, when you're building something, you know, you just want to share it with the world and you, you obviously think it's the best thing in the world, but the whole world also knows that you're the one who created it. So, you know, you're, you're clearly biased when someone else comes along and, oh, yeah. and reacts to your work in any way. 
And, you know, as long as it's like good faith effort on both sides, like chances are you'll find some sort of like agreement or, you know, uh, alignment of interests there. And that is just so powerful when you have that first kind of like external person, like the person who's like not involved with your project in any way, but, you know, tries it out, spends their time and, uh, you know, shares it with others. Like one of one endorsement from, you know, someone like that is worth like, hundred of your own, you know, tweets or self-promotions, however, you know, good, w- well-intentioned or, or good-natured. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I think it should be thoughtful as well. You can't just go like, I think this, this, you know, I think source graph is great. And then end of story, you should, yeah. you should go into a bit of why and like um, what makes, what makes a difference, you know, uh, give some, give some thought into it. But uh, those, 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 that kind of feedback really helps, especially yeah. in the early days. Um, so of, of course, when I, when I was doing this for React, React was not early, but that part of React was early. And mm. you, you, I think you can find parts of this in any ecosystem. I could go into Rails and do this exact same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think it's just a career hack. Um, I think, uh, you know, it's kind of bringing this to the, the book and learn the public stuff. I think, um, when people start out in tech, uh, they, we always want to hire seniors, you know, that every, every company in the world just wants sure. in, in <laughs> independently capable senior engineers. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of people coming out of boot camps, coming out of, uh, or self-taught or, or, you know, coming out of colleges and they don't really have that path from junior to senior. So, uh, I, I think this is a hack, you know, just like, well, uh, trying out stuff from, from senior engineers and picking up and, uh, and just doing that for a couple of years. And, and eventually, you know, soon enough, you're, you're working with them at least on an informal basis and pretty soon they'll turn it formal. Yeah. That's awesome. Pick up what others put down. That's uh, that's such a great maxim. We have a, we have a, I mean, it's, it's one of like two acronyms that we use in our discord. So we have a, like a, a small, dis, uh, like a private discord for, for the book. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, P U W P D. We just kind of put it in there. And everyone knows. What oh, that's means. awesome. Um, is which it- looks like the, the beginnings of a cult, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it like benefits people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, for all, all for good. Is it, is that a, a um, you said it was a private discord? Like yeah, it's like a are- paid discord. So basically okay. uh, this is the other insight that I had when people rate, read books, uh, yeah. when people watch movies, when they listen to podcasts, yeah. they, there should be a way to continue the conversation. Um, mm. it, it kind of sucks to like read something really good or listen to something really good yeah. and then turn around and no one else around you has read it. And yeah, that, you know, you have to look for a community. So I always, yeah. I always think that every book should essentially come with a discord. Uh, and that's what I did for my book. So like anyone who buys a book, reads it, can join this discord and chat with others who, who is that the idea or that is, uh, it's currently a, a second tier. So, okay. Uh, Got it. It's like, yeah. I basically, because there's, there's two, th- there's two reasons for that. One is basically, I just wanted to see if I could make a different tier for the book, you know? Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. But secondly, uh, it is my live time. I'm in there every single day. Yep. Um, whereas the, the book is kind of like a one-off thing. So, yep. uh, it was weird. Like, how do you put a, <laughs> a value on your own time when it's potentially multi-year? Yeah. Uh, so I just, I just made up a number and said, I like, guess 40 bucks, <laughs> whatever. And then just threw it in there. Yeah, awesome. Discord, Discord isn't really geared for any sort of paid access. Like actually any, any member in the Discord could create an invite and just like, you know, get their friends in. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm kind of relying on the fact that you get out what you put in, right? Like just, totally. just getting membership isn't enough. You have to be an active participant. I have to chat with you. Like I've helped, uh, you know, someone go from junior to senior actually within their career in that yeah. discord. 
Yeah. Uh, and I think their pay like went up like, like 80% just, just yeah. in the process because we also talked about negotiation stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's Probably the best really 40 bucks great. they ever spent. <laughs> I, I, think, I think he's pretty happy. I think he's pretty happy. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and others just kind of lurk and they don't get any value out of it. So I don't, I don't yeah. really mind that much. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so what, what is it like to moderate like a, a, an online uh, community of, what is it like? Uh, it, it went from 20,000 to 200,000, um, the, the React subreddit while, while you were yeah. a moderator. Like what, what was that like? Oh, yeah. I, I forgot to mention why, how I got involved. Uh, essentially, yeah. I was a Redditor before I was, a, I was on Twitter. Um, okay. Just because like, I, I like talking about games, TV shows, movies, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and, um, and so I, and then I discovered there's like this programming stuff on, on Reddit. Yeah. Uh, and and actually, actually pretty active. And uh, essentially, I think there was a flame war one day. Uh, mm-hmm. between frameworks, you know, how people get really religious about frameworks. And, and <laughs> yeah. Danny Abramov, because I, I've been uh, corresponding back and forth with him f- on the async React stuff, was yep. like, hey, yep. next time you see this, can you shut it down? And yeah. I was like, I'm not a moderator. I, I don't have the ability to shut it down. And he, yeah. he like went away for five minutes, came back. He was like, now you are. <laughs> that, nice. That was, that was the application <laughs> process. You know, uh, I think it's some amount of trust and, and uh, the React team definitely cares about its community, yeah. which uh, it's not part of their job, but uh, it, it definitely is an extension. It's of so work. important. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, um, I think growing it is a matter of setting an example, setting mm-hmm. rules, and then just being showing up for a long, long time. Um, yeah. And it's it's the unglamorous part that that people don't really get. Like the glamorous part is like being able to throw events, uh, getting people hired, right? Um, right. Uh, you know, having people launch demos and libraries on your in your community and having a positive response. You know, that's that's a really awesome thing to uh, support creators and mm-hmm. promote uh, uh, projects that that are that are worth that attention. Yeah. Um, but then the unglamorous part is dealing with. Uh, people who are not who are kind of mean you know reddit is a pseudonymous community so right uh, they don't people don't necessarily feel the the need to be nice to each other yeah. um and then also uh the fact that people just kind of don't stick around you know a lot of people join and leave or they join in lurk mm. um i think we had something like 1.6 million page views but only on the order of like um two to three thousand comments a day um, interesting <clears throat> so so there's a lot of lurkers <laughs> and people yeah. want, want, want free information. And that's, that's just kind of how it is. Yeah. Uh, and so as a community ma- manager, um, you don't have the power to make people do things. Yeah. You just have to make it in an inviting environment where there's a reasonable expectation that if you put stuff up, you get a good response yeah. and then, and then just let people bubble up through there. Uh, that's kind of how I, I kind of view it. And yeah. it's, it's, it's just a role. Uh, you're, you're, you, it's definitely more of a service role than than a than a job in in my in my mind. But yeah. I think definitely this this idea of technical community, people taking it more seriously, because yeah. ultimately that's the moat right around any company. Um, anyone like AWS can come along and clone any of your features eventually, uh, right. but they cannot steal your community if you've you've built it strong enough, um, inc- yeah. including your paid customers. I, I don't know if you you know if they have, yeah, if yeah. have a strong relationship with them and so on. Um, so so yeah, I, uh, I, I've been, re- you know, one of my posts around this has been this idea of a technical community builder and how more and more startups are trying to hire around this. Uh, I'm curious if you, if you are uh, actively building uh, this for this role as well. 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're trying to spin up um, kind of a community around Sourcegraph. Uh, we're, we're kind of weird because um, our, our early adopter market was um, a fairly large engineering organizations and enterprises. Uh, I think that's just due to the nature of, you know, code search. A lot of these companies were experiencing the pains uh, of, you know, the giant code bases so much so that they were looking at, you know, uh, building their own internal code search uh, by the time that, you know, they found out about us. So it was it was kind of a, a much easier sell uh, into those organizations. And so um, that's where we started. But we always, you know, had this vision. The original vision for Sourcegraph was just to build this, like, w- you know, single portal where all the code in the world and you know, the code that's you're interested in or might be interested in specifically is, is accessible from, you know, a single search box. And so uh, a big effort for us right now is... Um, uh, kind of warming this community back up because we it was just not a focus for our, our company for uh, uh, a number of years. Um, but we think it is you know, like central to our mission and, and what we want to do. And I would love to hear your advice uh, for, <laughs> for both us and, you know, other, you know, developer tool creators and, and founders here about how to build and foster that strong technical community. So... You know. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> before, so I'm not like I don't have zero experience, but I'm also not like the the world expert on this thing. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I should probably list out the stuff that I've done, right? Like, so I, I helped to grow uh, the the React rated from thirty to yeah. um, and then I I left React and started Svelte Society from zero. From like I I held the first meeting. Yeah, uh, and we're about to hit ten thousand people. Um, nice, and and then I was part of uh, Netlify as as we sort of established the Jamstack community. Yep, and uh, now we're trying to grow grow that at Temporal as well. So yeah. that's a, a similar. Like I, I think that we have a similar issue with uh, with Temporal as you do. You know, we we we're adopted by people with microservice orchestration problems, which uh, right. is is general generally large companies. Yeah, um, so it's a, it's a different topic from front end community where uh, you, yeah. you know you, you can be productive with just a single person in, on a browser yeah the advice that i typically give to people because uh, a lot of people definitely reached out to me after that blog post uh, is hire from your community rather than trying to install someone with a proven track mm-hmm. record in a different community because i don't think it transfers that well yeah uh, because they might just fundamentally not get the community yeah, and, yeah. and you want you want someone who already embodies the kind of uh, person that you want more of, right? It, you know, so I always say, like, pick the community community member that you who would most like to clone, uh, yeah. because they would essentially, if you make that their whole job, then they will start cloning themselves in in whatever way. It it could be from product decisions, uh, marketing messaging, uh, to just like the networks that they're already in. Um, they yeah. just serve as like a beacon or lighthouse for people like them to come on in. Yep, and and so. Uh, that can, that's good and bad, you know. Like you will necessarily exclude some people uh, just just as a result of, of uh, unintentional consequences. Yeah. Um, so you you do have to pick somewhat carefully. But what what I'm basically saying not to do is say, okay, this person has ten years managing community at you know name your other startup. Um, let's just hire them. They've done it before. They can do it again here. Right. I don't think that 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 works because they may not get it. Because uh. <laughs> so so much of like the qualification for the role is just like understanding like your specific tool and and how it impacts yeah. your users' lives, right? Yeah. So like that so, that is like the most important uh, qualifier. 
is what you exactly say. same same thing for developer relations by the way uh yeah the 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 joke that i have is you know don't hire a devrel an experienced devrel person from some other community and then expect them to npm install audience uh just that's it. <laughs> it, it's just like okay let's look for the highest follower account and then just hire that one and then <laughs> yeah yeah you know it's it's silly like they're uh they're 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 as part of uh, their community, and mm-hmm. you, ha- you you really need to screen for do they have the relationships and the fundamental background to uh, to be an evangelist and, and to to connect people. Um, yeah. So so you know cu- coming onto the, the difference between DevRel and community, yeah. uh, community is m- much more about getting uh, members talking to each other. Uh, right. Where, whereas DevRel is kind of content creation from like one to many instead of many to many. <clears throat> I see. Um, and uh, there's definitely some overlap. Like DevRel performs part of community membership, uh, and that's yeah, yeah. mostly because uh, community building is not so much of a recognized career path or, or d- uh, discipline within tech companies just yet. Yeah, uh, you know, we we had a support, we had a community support manager uh, in Net, at Netlify, and it, and you know they they were kind of there was no career path for them. They they just kind of managed the forums, and it was yeah. just kind of. Uh, off, off in the, off at the edges, uh, but I definitely think uh, what's happening right now is is more people are realizing that community should be a bigger inform informer of like, yep. product decisions, marketing decisions, anything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it, it might be true that community is basically moving from the periphery, where it's like it's like okay, let's do everything first and then inform the community yeah. uh, towards towards more of like a community at the core, where like let's let's see what's going on in in, in the community, what's what what they're telling us, uh, and yeah. drive those marketing or product decisions off of that. Yeah, I mean, I think more and more people start to recognize the value of communities. It's, it's one of those things where it's like it's so it's difficult to put like a, a number on it or to like measure it in a traditional corporate setting. And so you, it, a lot of it is kind of just trust based. Like you have to find someone who gets your community and who you can like trust to do right by the community. Yeah, um, yeah. Because like, yeah. I have a couple of other thoughts. Uh, you know, I just want to make sure I mention them because before we yeah, yeah. get too uh, in the weeds on, on one one angle, yeah. uh, the other angle is uh, I always like the idea that people are there uh, for something bigger than themselves, um, mm-hmm. and so the traditional element of this is is a very marketing driven idea of category creation, right? Um, mm-hmm. We uh, at, at Nellify, we uh, you know Nellify created the category of Jamstack. Yeah, and got a lot of people, including competitors, to to join yeah. this movement, um, and that's beneficial for you, just because if you led it and you coined it, you have a much better shot of owning this growing market. Yep, um, and and so people also like talking about this idea better because they don't necessarily promote you as a company so mm-hmm. you can remove that corporate interest because uh this uh, this idea is just bigger than you uh yeah. and it's much easier to, to join a community like that than to say yep. like uh you know join the source graph community or join the temporal community For because sure. uh it's it's kind of more awkward to do free work essentially <laughs> like you know if someone asks a question like should the assigned support engineer do it or should yeah. i you know as a knowledgeable community member if yeah. if, if it's the source graph forum I'll just wait for someone from SourceGraph to do it, you know? Right, right, uh, right. But right. if it's, uh, you know, if it's an open source or movement, uh, uh, if it was open source framework or a movement that's bigger than any, any one company, yeah. uh, I'm more inclined to do that, do that because I want to I be a prominent member of that community or I want to, you know, there's just more for yeah. me at stake. Yeah, I mean, the way we think about it, and maybe we should just be more explicit about this as well, is like, you know, for us, um, 
as a business, a lot of what we do is, is not so much promote source graph, but just promote the idea of code search, because I think it's one of those ideas that is still yeah. at kind of the, like, it's definitely, uh, I think we all think, I think it's, it's going to be, uh, nearly ubiquitous in the next, you know, couple of years. Um, you know, five years from now, people look back and, and say like, how do we ever you know do development without uh, code search everywhere? But right now it's still kind of this, you know, best kept secret uh, level sort of thing where like there's a certain segment of developers who are just like completely sold on it. Like, you know, people who, who worked at, you know, Google or Facebook or, you know, another big tech company that had a great internal code search. And then there's just like everyone else who uh, has never used it before and just like, don't get it. They're like, well, how's this different from, uh, you know, I just grep for stuff. Uh, I, I check out most of the code that I interact with day to day on, uh, in my local editor. Uh, so like, I don't get it. And so may- maybe that's like the, the key insight for us, like code yeah. search. That's the thing that we want to make, um, ubiquitous. And we should just push that because we think that's going to be like this great thing for the world. It's going to, you know, unlock, uh, the world of code and make it accessible and, and valuable to so many, uh, new people out there, especially as like, you know, the world of code is growing itself. You have all these new people, uh, getting into the industry, getting into the world of code, uh, now. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> this is kind of turning into a sales pitch for SourceGraph, so I'll, I'll, no, I'll stop I, well, there. Obviously, you work on it every day, and the people <laughs> listening to the SourceGraph podcast, they signed up for this. It's it's uh, very much, I think, you know, as, as someone who's like, uh, it's rare for to have a CEO podcasting, so kudos on doing this. Uh, but people are signed up for the journey, right? They want to see your, your yeah. thoughts evolve, uh, and if they have something that they want to contribute, uh, you know, they, they can listen to what you just said and, and say like, okay, you know, I can, I can get in on that or here's, here's how I think about it differently. Yeah. And uh, it's very much building in public. And I think that's, that's always to be celebrated and you shouldn't be embarrassed about that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, uh, I definitely think uh, promoting the category makes, makes more sense. Um, mm-hmm. There's another thing. So uh, it's not, not just about getting your competitors, like being so unafraid of competitors that you're like, just come on in. I, do, I don't care. Like let's yeah, just yeah, yeah. make this a thing. Uh, and then the other thing is uh, having people be part of, uh, expect to be part of your community longer than any current employment like that is a real community right yeah they're, they're, yeah. You're, they're not just joining a support forum for a vendor um <laughs> like yeah th- this is literally like i identify with this thing more than my current job yeah and and that's so important i feel like and it has to be like an authentic uh um thing right because like I, I feel like every for for me at least like every time i evaluate you know, a, a community or like a piece of technology or like even like a blog post, there's like this, you know, uh, detector in my mind is like, you know, is this a real post or is this like content marketing, you know, for, for to, to sell me something. And uh, it, it's just like such a sharp distinction. Um, and, and I often think that like just being uh, like writing the, the good post, like the thing that's like broadly educational, informative, insightful, is better in the long term than just like taking the shortcut and trying to you know like quick sell someone on on a thing. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, I, I, I do a lot of thinking. Uh, so this is one of the unresolved areas for me. Uh, what role do company blogs play? <laughs> <laughs> it's an ongoing discussion for us right now too. But yeah, like, and and um, uh, have you read? Are you familiar with uh, Dan Liu? Um, like his uh, I read, his, I read his blog. Yeah. Yeah, he, he has a post on like what makes a good corporate blog. Yes, he does. And uh, yeah, for for those listening, 
I highly recommend that because um, he's he's got some good takes. It's also very much like his takes, right? Like, uh, yeah. At the end of the day, sometimes you need to speak to non-engineers, and a yeah. company blog is a really good way to do that. Uh, so yeah. Dan writes for engineers, and so he biases towards like, hey, GitLab had an outage, and they live stream their outage. That's fantastic, and then they yeah. wrote uh, their postmortem on on their blog. Um, yeah. Most you know sales marketing people that hey, that's cool transparency yeah. around your around your downtime that's fine but it's not gonna sell yeah. me on, on on your thing yeah um yeah <laughs> yeah let's let's talk more about the the work you're doing uh now at at temporal because i think it's uh, it's really interesting and um maybe can we start with how you like why you joined them in the first place because i think that there's an interesting backstory uh, yes there yes i don't know if he talks about this because I, I say it to a number of people but it's, it's something I haven't shared enough about. And it's like, what is a front-end guy like me doing at a <laughs> back-end place like this? It's like, yeah. <laughs> I've never worked on a giant distributed system, you know. Uh, and uh, it's a very it's very strange journey. But essentially, so going from front-end to back-end is essentially the process of diving deeper and deeper into platforms and developer experience. So, mm-hmm. you know, I started at Two Sigma as a front-end engineer. And then yeah. I, I joined Netlify as a, uh, you know, working on, on, on Jamstack, which is essentially like DevOps as a service for front-end developers. Yep, yep. Uh, where you rely on creating a lot of single-page and static site uh, uh, apps for, uh, mm-hmm. in, in the front-end and use mm-hmm. serverless functions to stitch together the rest. Uh, the problem with serverless functions is that they're very limited in what they can do. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I joined... I, I, Join AWS with the with the hope that we would be able to do more. And yeah. AWS is starting to innovate on this. They have serverless containers with uh, AWS Fargate. Yeah. Um, but there's still this idea of uh, lacking a central um, brain. <laughs> and 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 basically, like the 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 real wow moment for me was watching uh, DHH demo Rails. You know that famous 15 minute talk. Um, mm-hmm. If if anyone in the Rails ecosystem, uh, if they are in the Rails ecosystem, they they've seen this talk. Yep. Uh, and just realizing that I cannot do that with today's technology. I cannot yeah. do the, the full CRUD comments and live updates with yeah. today's serverless and React and fancy GraphQL. I don't, they, I don't care what you throw at me. You can't do what Rails did. Uh, yeah. And that's then and we lost something, right? Uh, we, we moved from the monolith to uh, some sort of distributed system with our, with our front-end fancy app and serverless uh, right. infinitely scalable uh, functions. But yeah. we lost the developer experience of the monolith. That's it. And it's not just about developer experience, it's about development speed. Yeah. Um, so I, basically, I wrote this blog post about like, okay, I'm basically a salesman for serverless technology right now uh, at, <laughs> at Amazon at Netlify. But yeah. serverless isn't good enough. We, we, hmm. we, we haven't replicated everything that we lost from, uh, from the, the good old days of just I don't know, run a container or, <laughs> you know, run, <laughs> run a, a rack and stack a server somewhere. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was just like listing the jobs to be done. You know, if you, if you, if you kind of look at it from like a, what do I need out of a, of a platform, I was just kind yeah. of listing, listing this. And, and basically right at the top was like a central scheduler or orchestrator of all these things, because everything else hmm. you can break down into s- single serverless functions. Um, and that's what it was eventually, uh, working my way towards, but I, I just didn't have the background to, or the words to, to phrase this. So I yeah. wrote up a blog post with like, here's, here's what I think is missing in the service ecosystem or like that we need to reconstitute the monolith. Yep. Um, and uh, someone commented and, um, and that, and the VC that was funding Temporal read my blog post, thought it was stupid or something. And then read the comment. The comment was really smart. Try to correct me. Right. 
hired yeah. the guy to be head of product for Temporal, and the guy turned around and hired me <laughs> to do DevRel. So out of one blog post, uh, two uh, jobs, two jobs arise. That's amazing. I, I'm currently in his house. Uh, <laughs> and that's, and, uh, and that's what learning public does for you. Uh, I think yeah. like, seriously, like think about the biggest gaps in your space and write about it. And then yeah. you serve, that serves as a beacon for other people who are also interested in space to find you and I, offer you jobs to, to, to work on it. I love that. Cause it's like this, it's multiple instances of this, like reacting to what someone else uh, created. Like you were reacting to kind of the, the, the existing landscape and you wrote it and then, you know, he replied to the comment. And then out of that, just because all that was public, you know, it, you were both discoverable to uh, yeah. this company that was doing exactly uh, uh, it sounds like what, what you were both kind of envisioning. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, and I would say that I got my last three jobs this way. Right. Um, so, uh, I definitely, definitely have like learning public has changed my life. And, and that's definitely why I continue to preach it to people, even though like, I feel yeah. like, an, I feel very repetitive saying the same stuff again and again. Uh, but yeah. I will do it because it's really changed my life. And I've only, I'm only in like year three of this, you know? Yeah. Um, and you can, so imagine doing 30 years of this. And I think that's, that's a lot of how the legends in computer programming, uh, get going they, they just write down what they think and they iterate on it over years yeah. um yeah. and it's not about the the immediate reactions and like counts and whatever but uh, really about developing your mental model and relationships with with people also interested in that problem um so yeah i, I don't know if i should like do, should i talk about what temporal does i, I know. Uh, yeah i mean i i think it'd be at least worthwhile just to go into like the the just so people you know can place it in context like what what is it what does it do and what is the kind of sales pitch for for why people should care about it yeah it, it's um, there, it really depends on your background because I can explain it probably three or four different ways depending on, on, your, on your background. So okay. uh, the, the general introduction I kind of go with is that uh, you need to, the most important work at any company involves uh, asynchronous uh, uh, work that, re- that ties together multiple services. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say service, I could, it could be a microservice, could be a mega service. It could be a serverless function. Don't care. Uh, yeah. it's just like external dependency and then, you know, tie to the next, next external dependency, tie to sure. uh, the other external. And when you say like async, you're talking about like the pipes or like the things that connect these different exactly. uh, services. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it's, it's beyond the 15 second limit of AWS, the default limit of AWS Lambda uh, doing request yeah. and response, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Those are, those tend to be relatively trivial or like whatever you can squeeze into uh, yep. a 50 second processing window. But like you think about all the valuable stuff. So I'm talking about like, you know, one, one of our customers checker, <coughs> um, they're running background checks on, on gig economy workers, right? Like, and mm-hmm. some of that involves making a trip to the court system to, to pull their criminal records and stuff like that. You know, like yeah, you know, yeah. that can take multiple days. Yep. Um, so how do you, and, or if you think about the origins of Temporal, which is started at Uber, um, yeah. how do you track a, a entire journey from beginning, from booking a trip uh, so like, you know, say I want, I want to travel here, matching yep. with the, with the car, uh, yep. getting on the car, dropping them off, emailing the receipt, doing the rating, uh, and so on and so forth. Like that, that whole journey, how do you sort of model that, right? You can model that with a bunch of cron jobs and schedulers and, uh, and different, and, you know, there's different teams responsible for each part of this, this stuff, yeah. but you need some way to, to tie all these things together. Um, the traditional way this develops in a, in a, like a microservices hairball is that <clears throat> each service is responsible for calling the next service, mm-hmm. but that 
tends to have a very uh, exponential complexity and you want to centralize everything into linear complexity with mm -hmm. a central orchestrator tool, mm -hmm. uh, which um, uh, a bunch of different companies have, have built. Um, yeah. So, so Temporal is, is basically spun out of work that was done at Amazon, Microsoft, and Uber uh, mm -hmm. to solve this orchestration problem between services. And, and <laughs> that's, that's, like the, that's the first opinion. The second opinion okay. is event sourcing. So deriving everything from a immutable log of histories, uh, rather than uh, having like a central like mutable state uh, thing. And and and, uh, and that this is purely because th there's so there is, two that, is that, that like getting rid of like a, a database or um, what, what do you mean your, by derive, deriving your state from uh, all the all the events that have happened up to up till now? Okay. Um, so instead of saying. Imagine if, if you, you develop your, your source code without Git um, and you would just, you would just like save, uh, you zip up your file. And then files. You, you like say you what? You can't revert. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, you can't revert. You can't really audit what happened. Um, and, yeah. and if you stop, if you stop the, your work and you transfer it to like an, a different machine, it's very hard to resume in the exact same state because yeah. you don't have the precise uh, replay mechanism. Um, yep. So Gits is, Gits is a very, is a similar analogy, right? Like uh, you have the, the log of all, all, all events. You don't necessarily need the full log, but it's there if you want it. But yep. more importantly, you can replay anything that, uh, that happens and uh, re restart from, from uh, any, any system. It's so that's how, that's how you make the central orchestrator. Yeah. Because like, the problem with introducing a central orchestrator is that you've now introduced a central dependency to every part of your system. Yeah. Um, and so you need to make it foolproof to that, that central system going down. And the way you do that is you derive everything off of your logs. You, every, every state has to be logged or it, did, or it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, so that's, that's the second opinion, the, which is, um, event sourcing rather than, uh, you know, database and optional log or like a okay. secondary log as a second, second concern. No, the log is the source of truth. Got it. Um, and then the final opinion is, uh, is the programming model. Well, we, a lot of orchestrators that are out there. So, uh, the competitors are things like, uh, Apache Airflow, um, AWS step functions. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's a bunch of other uh, alternatives. Yeah. Google has a workflows product as well that they're pushing. Yep. All of these are based on JSON or YAML, right? So like, uh, very, which is very amenable to low code kind of drag and right. drop like if this and then do these things in parallel and then get the results from here and then tie yeah. them all together and, and uh, send into one final service. Yep. Um, so you end up writing these like very complicated JSON and YAML setups for anything beyond like a trivial if this and that workflow. Um, yeah. And the, the, the central thesis is that the best language for doing all this is a real programming language, uh, meaning yeah. Go, Java, Python, Node, uh, and all the other SDKs that we're doing. Uh, because if you try to stay within JSON or YAML, you end up inventing a DSL, uh, inventing, yeah. uh, you, you end up writing complete at some point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think there's a, I think it's Greenspan's law. Like, uh, any, any configuration language has like a lazily half implemented <laughs> version of this list. Or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm misquoting this, but I really believe it's true. Like look at Google's Google workflows, uh, uh, orchestration language. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you, you know, you have an if and it's like, you know, curly brace and then like you're writing the AST of a language yep. that you should be writing. Yep. Um, and so, uh, you know, write things in familiar languages and use the libraries that, that you're, you're familiar with, but also yep. test them, uh, in using the, the standard testing tools that, that, um, that you're, that you know and love. So, um, yep. that's the other, that's, those are the three main opinions I think of temporal, um, which is, so I'll recap. The first is that you should have an orchestrator rather than, uh, 
choreo- choreography, which is the other terminology. Yep. Uh, yep. Second is event sourcing, and third is uh, use a real programming language. Cool. That's pretty cool. If, if folks want to try, try that out, do they just go to like temporal.io and yeah, and yeah, uh, it's open source, so you can run it yourself and not pay us cool. a single cent. Uh, and then and then we run the hosted version, same like nice. any other open source company. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. So like uh, the other thing as well is you know uh, uh, there there are components to this underlying like it basically solves distributed transactions for you as well. So people use us for mm-hmm. that. Um, and uh, I'm having to learn all this as I go because I'm you know technically responsible for DevRel and content and stuff like that. And, uh, it, you know, I have, uh, but it's good. Like, I think if you develop a reputation of someone who can pick up anything, uh, then yeah. that's a very transferable and malleable skill. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so what is it, do you have any like impressions going from being mainly like front end focused to now like diving into all this oh, back end yeah. stuff? Like what, what are your like, uh, thoughts okay. on, on the back end oh, world? So many, so many. <laughs> it's a different culture. I, I actually love it. I, I really, okay. really do. Uh, so, uh, the, the hot take, you know, I'll put, the, I'll put this right, right at the top is yeah. that backend engineers make more money or have a higher career ceiling than front end engineers straight huh. up. How many CTOs are front end, uh, front end background versus backend background. Right. Interesting. Like, like uh, that, that's your claim that, that that would be your like assertion. Yes. And I think there's some empirical evidence, but you know, there's no like industry survey or anything of, of CTOs that, you know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. front end. Um, it just is a natural assumption that if you look at a front-end engineer, you don't see a CTO in there. Huh. Uh, in, in now, why, why is that, do you think? Yeah. So why is that? And uh, obviously, this is not generally true. There, there are yeah, going to sure. be... I mean, we're, yeah, okay. we're just this like thinking is, out loud here. Yeah. Um, so I think the assertion is that uh, back-end engineers command more dollars. Like at the end of the day, like power mm. comes with money. And backend engineers command infrastructure where you pay like you pay AWS uh, like yeah. three million dollars. That person's gonna right. be in charge of your tech. Right. Okay. Right. You 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 pay your what? Yeah, you pay React nothing. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, right, you, like right. deal with browser inconsistencies. Like that that's gonna yeah. be as uh, politically like internal office politics smaller. Yeah. Um, and that's just like the reality of of the the industry so part of my own migration from front end to back end has been just in recognition of this fact that front end is uh not a very valued skill in the industry partially Mm. because it's been so open source so there's nothing proprietary to this everyone can learn it uh, which Mm. is good like a lot of people make front end very accessible right Uh, partially because i think um the the experience doesn't scale like your, your 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 job is to make the experience look good uh, on on every device, right? Yeah. Uh, make uh, and make performant, fast. Uh, you know, and and really good new features. Yeah. Um, but backend has a benefit to centralization, like or, like owning the backend for a giant company has mm-hmm. gives you experience that no other person can independently bootstrap. Hmm. Whereas in, whereas in front end, you can kind of self teach all of it. Interesting. But w- wouldn't the converse be that like, if you, if you learn, you know, one of the popular uh, front end frameworks, that's like very transferable. But if you, if you go on the back end side, what you're doing is working, it's more like bespoke or specific to uh, one particular company, but maybe less transferable from company to company. Do you buy yeah. that or? Um, I, I, that could be, that could be the case. I don't want to overstate my claim here. This is just the theory. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, whatever it is that I, I, it definitely see it the case that uh, backend developers have a higher career ceiling, ceiling, hmm. uh, and 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 spend more money. Uh, <laughs> I mean, let's let's put it down to this: like open yeah. source um, projects, right? Like 
people yeah. struggle really hard in front end to fund open source. Whereas in back end, like uh, my, my favorite example is Mike Perham from, from Rails. He runs Psychic. Mm. Um, as a solo developer, he maintains Psychic, the free open source project, and then he sells support contracts for Psychic Pro. Mm. Uh, he makes $2 million a year as a solo developer. Uh, nice. That does not happen in front end. Does not. Huh. So, so why, right? Like it, it, and it's basically because yeah. people run more money through, through backend work. Interesting. It's just, it's all money. It's like, it's like, it's like yeah. power, power politics. Like it's, yeah. So this is, this is the one, one of the things I appreciate about you as well. Cause you have this like dual tech finance background and you <laughs> often have like a very analytical and strategic, uh, way of thinking about, um, the, the economics of, of tech, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and, and you actually, you wrote a blog post on like, uh, uh, like API, uh, economy, the, the, the economics of, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like what, what is your analysis of, cause we, we live in this age where like, it seems like every other week there's a new API company that's spinning up like, oh, we're going to build, right. you know, a new, a service that that's an API to like this, this sort of like functionality or this, this form of like uh, data, um, yeah, you know, talking in terms of bell curve again, uh, the yeah. really dumb a- uh, ADIQ <laughs> version of this yeah. is Stripe for everything, right? Look, look at Stripe's, they're so successful. That's, that's like yeah. API-ify every industry. Yeah. Uh, and that, yeah, that actually works. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's uh, the takeaway. So, that's, so <laughs> that's the ADIQ takeaway that, hey, developers yeah. are, are very powerful. And if you make more and more, more of the world exposed through an API interface, that's manipulatable by programmers yeah. then you can uh, bu- essentially build your own uh, new uh, real estate or uh, yeah. a, a very valuable company like basically like digital digitalizing offline services right like yeah. uh, a lot of like web one to web two was was kind of like like this and yeah. and i was I'll definitely classify uh, the api economy in in, in uh, web 2.0 um the the 120 IQ take, <laughs> which kind of goes past the 100 IQ yeah. peak of the bell curve, uh, is that what happens to the people who stay above, uh, who who cannot stay above the API, right? Essentially, our, uh, we are we are coming towards like a two state, uh, two class economy, where mm-hmm. either you tell machines what to do or machines tell you what to do, right? Um, mm-hmm. The the Uber driver is below the API because mm-hmm. a machine tells them where to go and where to, what to pick up. Yeah, like they they are essentially uh, sla- servants to the machine. Uh, okay. Whereas if you stay above the API, uh, you know you're, you're obviously your Uber customer or whatever. But as are you are you following you're, you're what the algorithm the is telling you to do versus are you writing the algorithm? Is that yeah, kind exactly. of the exactly yeah, okay right? And, and it's more of uh, machine learning. Uh, you know, uh, helps to dictate our decisions and content yeah. consumption. That's definitely the case. Like a, a lot of our media uh, consumption is already below the API. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you. Uh, well, can, can you, I? You should once. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, so I, finish your thought. Uh, okay. Yeah. So uh, you have more economic power if you stay above. Uh, yep. And you know what happens to to those below? Should we have universal basic income to take care of them? Blah blah yeah. blah. Um, then then the the sort of 140 IQ take is if you want to if you want the most economic power, you manage the people who manage the API, which is uh, the the one you know as much as people complain about not having not being being hard it being hard to hire developers yeah. if you can manage developers and point them towards a business problem you have infinite power in this economy yeah i like that can can i push back on yeah. on uh, some aspects of that so sure. you know is, is it necessarily that there's kind of these like is it a two-class hierarchy because i would argue that you know any given person there's probably things that you do 
above the API and, and also below the API. Like, you know, my, yeah. my media consumption, right? Like a lot of it is, you know, like Twitter or Reddit these days, there's algorithms behind all that, uh, like deciding, you know, what, what to show in, in, in those feeds. Um, but then I go and, and, you know, write code and suddenly I, you know, I'm, I'm writing an algorithm that, you know, helps automate, you know, some piece of logic or, or some like rote task, uh, that may affect what someone else, uh, does, you know, downstream, but it, it's not like, you know, I'm on top of them at that point. It's just algorithms are just becoming like embedded in, in like every part of life. And so they're just these like things that we interact with now where, you know, previously there, there was no logic there. It was just a lot of, you know, more humans in the mix or, or just like no interaction at all because it was too inefficient to, to do that. Uh, so the pushback is you're not below the API all the time. And sometimes you're above. Yeah. Like, you're below. like, um, yeah. the, the kind of like two class, uh, uh, like, uh, I guess, description yeah. of that yeah, world. It's, it it's seems very bleak to me. I mean, I, I acknowledge this in the post. Uh, it, it is very bleak, actually. It, it is a problem. Um, but yeah, we're not always above and not always below, but, some, but you definitely spend more time above the API than some others. Um, mm. And you see the economic benefits of that. Like that, that is, it's pretty clear w- which part has economic value and which part is less <laughs> economically valuable. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that's just a general statement about, you know, how how power flows through the economy and yeah. um, what, like if you play this, like we've only had maybe 10 to 20 years of, of this, like play this through like another hundred, 200 years. Like we're talking yeah. the, the scale of we're changing our, our DNA uh, because an API is deciding who we date. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as someone who met his wife uh, through an app, then it, like I really? technically, I guess our marriage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Our marriage is, I, I guess, technically below the API in this case. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's really it's really uh, you know I talk about the economy, but it's actually about civilization, right? Um, and yeah, yeah. and uh, it's it's a, it's really I don't know what to do about it apart from just raise awareness. But uh, it, yeah. it doesn't have to be a problem, you know. But I think we should, as as people who design APIs, uh, should be aware of the awesome responsibility of what yeah. what we do. Uh, we should include. We should have people at the table who are represented, right? Because it, if it's yeah. just a bunch of white and Asian guys sitting in San Francisco, um, designing the experience of the world, um, yeah. something has to break. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, a lot of what you're doing is, is, uh, helping with this, right. By like, you know, learning stuff in public and, and, uh, teaching others and, and kind of like, uh, helping with developer education, uh, I think that is, you know, one, one, one of the pillars of, of the path forward here, which is like algorithms and code, they give you a lot of leverage uh, to make an impact in the world. The more people we can uh, uh, give access to that coding ability, the more people will be in kind of this above the a- API uh, <laughs> position or be able to, to be above the API. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the manager version of this is above or below the Kanban board. Um, so just to give you that terminology there, <laughs> right. Who's above the cabin board and who's below, you know, it's, uh, it's just yeah. another, uh, another thing like, you know, I, I, uh, so my role currently is one product than, than as a developer. So I've, I've also moved further and further away from the developer, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. career path. Uh, yeah. and that's, that's partially in reflection of this. Um, hmm. you know, I'm not, I don't want to get people too depressed. Like it's still a great job. Like, you know, um, we, we're not going to solve this within our lifetimes, yada, yada. Um, yeah. Uh, I definitely just encourage developers to think more about the economic underpinnings of their careers. Like, 
we we stress out so much about clean code um, and frameworks and like argue over code style and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, and don't really worry about like are you working in the right company? Uh, so so mm-hmm. you know a third a full third of my book is career strategy, and part of yeah. that is is tech strategy. Like are you working in a company that's that will scale? Yeah, um, or is it just like you know are you selling dollars for hours? Um, yeah, and and that has that has really long downstream effects if you do this for years right so uh, when i think yeah. when i talk to people about career choice it's all of this context um building in the the macro into the micro decisions of, of what job you, you choose yeah yeah uh, can we talk a little bit um in, in the brief time remaining about like strategies for learning in public because Ooh. you know that that seems like it's it's paid off for you a, a lot but you know there's there's so many different ways that you can be public about your work these days, like different channels, you know, there's you know, Twitter, there's uh, Reddit, there's, uh, you know, e- newsletters um, are becoming more of a thing now. There's, you know, like video content and streaming. Um, fr- from your point of view, uh, do you have like thoughts or recommendations about, you know, if someone's just getting into code or so- someone's trying to level up their career, like which, which one of these forums or, or uh, channels um are good and, and for what what types of you know learning in public yeah i have a few thoughts on this uh this great prompt by the way uh I, one of the reasons i'm so excited to talk with you is, is you clearly think about these things which are not technically your job <laughs> well, thank you but, but uh you just you just generally very curious um okay so here's what here's my state of thinking first of all pay attention to the lindy effect which is um how much things tend to stick around and, and stay relevant the mm-hmm half-life of content on various platforms is drastically different, right? Uh, a Twitter post stays, uh, you should roughly know these figures, you know, uh, a Twitter post stays uh, relevant or discoverable in people's feed for roughly four hours. Uh, hmm. A YouTube post, uh, something on the order of six months to a year. Uh, hmm. And blog posts and newsletters uh, stay relevant uh, about two to three years. Um, and hmm. and that's, that's kind of like, when you spend your time, you want to essentially build up a content base or, or a luck surface area of the maximally amount, uh, amount of still relevant work, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is how people find you and uh, yeah, how, yeah. You, how you can still build up knowledge. Um, so yeah, try to bias towards uh, things that, which are more Lindy is, is the general uh, conclusion. But yeah. that is also too strict, I think. So you want to, you want to, if you only work on things that will last forever, uh, yeah. then you may never ship. Um, and, and so I, I, well, I, I really like yeah. to encourage people to do work in progress stuff. So I've also started to promote this idea, which I actually just published, which is called the particle wave duality theory of knowledge. <laughs> that sounds cool. <laughs> right? <laughs> Can we do um, another episode on that? <laughs> uh, this is another, like one of those, uh, 120 IQ things. I don't know if it's too, too, like, I, I don't know if like, I'm getting too b- big for my bitches or something, but like this, this stuff really <laughs> interests me, you know, uh, essentially yeah. like, um, so here, here's the, here's the gist, right? Uh, you're, you're, you, if you publish only for like giant, massive master works, you know, like that you, that you spend like 40 years to, to make, sure. um, people don't really get the benefit of engaging with you. Um, and there's just so much content out there. It's hard to, it's hard to engage with like really monster, uh, masterpieces. Uh, and mm-hmm. so that's why people like to drip feed things over time. Uh, and in, in fact, when you learn stuff, you drip feed over time. You don't learn in one giant leap. Right. Um, so that's sort of the, the, 
the wave, the ongoing stream of consciousness of like, here's what I learned today. Here's what I worked on today, you know, input, mm-hmm. output. Um, and you kind of pair that with something more monolithic um, where you say like, okay, here's, here's the big thing I'm building towards and you can mm-hmm. start here and end here. And that's a complete journey. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I think basically there should be like kind of almost like a two phase commit for all knowledge that you, that you learn and all knowledge that you, that you produce. Right. Mm-hmm. So you need a continu- you need the continuous stream form, which is, uh, can be Twitter, it can be discord chats where you say like, here's, here's what I did today. Yeah. Uh, and then you also need the async knowledge base of like, here's everything slotted in its correct proper place. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's substantial and it's useful as a reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did not, you can't, you can't build that up. Uh, you know, in, in a stream of consciousness, consciousness way. Um, right. So, so yeah, the, sorry. So it needs to be is, multi-layered. Like, yeah, yeah, I, go, go ahead. Yeah. I think it's like, I think it's exactly two layer, like find a, find a stream to update. Uh, yeah. so, it's, so it could be your newsletter. It could be your, uh, your Twitter and, and you can use one for the, you can use uh, them for the others. Like, uh, like a YouTube post right. can either be a vlog or it can be like the definitive talk on something. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Both, both are possible. Um, but essentially try to try to always do things twice right try try to do the the update somewhere um mm-hmm. uh, in in your in your daily journal or in your public um uh, tweet stream and right. then also store it in its place somewhere else uh where where you can access it in context um and and uh, i think i think that's that's my that's my learning public insight you know like uh, so uh people uh, I'll, I'll give I'll, I'll expand this out for you right like if you blog what you learn as it's really hard to follow because no one's going to read through the, the whole sequence of blogs but if you build yeah. up a wiki uh, which is what i've done right like I, when i learned typescript i didn't i didn't learn uh you know day by day and, and blog my journey as i as i went yep. i built yep. uh essentially a, a public book about react and typescript and and that would that became useful for other people to to learn as well i see um so uh, different formats are different, uh, useful to different people, you know, like, again, uh, and, and there's a reversal of this, like, if I'm an expert, mm-hmm. I already know everything, I just want to know diffs, right? So you just, just send me the diffs, of, a continuous stream of diffs, and that's, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but if I'm a beginner, yeah. I, I want to, uh, I want the, the nicely presented, formatted, uh, contextualized uh, body of knowledge. Um, yeah. So, so uh, it's, it's that's what I mean by particle wave, like, uh, knowledge is, can be presented sure. as both a uh, distinct particle or a continuous stream. So, so you have kind of two streams. One is like you know quick daily or, or weekly you know frequent updates, and then the other one is kind of your your long running magnum opus, like the the the, the big thesis <laughs> or like the big idea, oh, source and, of truth, source of truth. Yeah. And what you're saying is that don't you can't derive like the source of truth from the daily updates. It's like you want to have an idea of like what the source of truth is or the big idea that you're working on, and then you just kind of release your like almost like serialize the production of of that big uh work and and that is kind of like the daily update that is like you know will capture people's attention and, and be easier on ramps to the, the big idea is that is that kind of yeah. idea or um i i i don't i don't care which is primary and which is secondary i just care you do oh, okay. both right like if you build if you only do one of them uh then so for example if you only do the stream it's very hard to follow that stream it, and it's very hard right. to know what you currently think now. It's, got it. It's got it. not that useful. Uh, yeah, and so on and so forth. Uh, so, so, yeah, there's a database version of this, which is like, you know, do you only store the logs or do you, do you have uh, materialized views? And <laughs> yeah. I think materialized views are very useful, you know, because they, yeah. they reflect the current state of things. Sometimes you want the history as well. Um, yeah, nice, so. nice tie back. That's, that's great. <laughs> um, okay, so just real quick, like what is, what's your example of like your daily stream and, and your kind of more longer running source of truth? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is how I kind of I kind of write my book right now. So I I, okay. I published version one last year, and essentially yeah. the community is like the ongoing diffs to that book, right? Yeah. And then I'm going to tie up my book. Uh, and so people pay for that. People pay for the, the book and they pay for the diffs. Uh, and yeah. then when I publish version two, I essentially gather up all the diffs and publish an even better version two. I and see. to me, that produces so much value for people because uh, they can consume it either way. And for me, mm-hmm. it was also much easier to write because I didn't. it's not this big, heavy lift. Like I've been working yeah. on this book the past year uh, yeah. while, you know, while, while doing other stuff. And it's, it's just a really great way to be a knowledge worker, I think. And so yeah. you know, I'm talking about writing my own book, but you could apply this to work. Uh, you could apply this to building a company. Like, yeah, it, it, you're very much like, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's this dream, which people are interested, uh, who follow the story are interested in. And then there's, yeah. there's the, like, here's, here's how to get started from scratch, right? You know, your docs, your, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. So, so I, I definitely think about this in a very f- fundamental way that permeates it's, it's a worldview rather than just like, here's the tactical method of like you publish a blog post then you tweet about it then you wait seven days and you tweet about it again you know um, yeah. that's what a social media strategist would do for you uh but the social media general would just be like <laughs> you know here, here's the allocation of of uh of resources and here's why this is such a great conversation sorry i'm just like jotting down some notes later because I, I think it's gonna give me some ideas for like you know the next couple quarters of of planning and I think, yeah, it's, it'd be interesting to apply this to customer relationships as well, right? Like, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I think the whole learning in public and building in public thing totally applies uh, to, to, to companies, especially if you're building developer tools. But yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's just a very concentrated form of knowledge work. And uh, yeah. what we are really forming towards is like a theory of knowledge work, right? Like how yeah. to get this done, how to do... Uh, how to do really quality focused work, but also keep people involved as you go along. Um, yeah. Which, which kind of is more authentic marketing than anything else you could be doing. Yeah. All right, man. I wish I could keep talking to you for like <laughs> no, hours and hours, <laughs> um, but you're busy and I won't let you go. A- any kind of like final parting thought or maybe, maybe like a call to action for listeners or, or viewers of this. Mm. People always are inspired by the learning public story. And then they, write their first blog post and then yeah. they tag me on it and they want me to give them kudos, like congrats, you know, pat on right. the back, like right. good job, first blog post. Um, but just understand that this is a journey and a lifestyle. Uh, like the benefit is all back end loaded, you know, in, in the sense of like, you have to do this for a while. You have to find your voice and find your audience. Um, yeah. And uh, eventually you start to, the benefit starts to compound and that's the problem with compounding. Like it looks like it doesn't work at the start. <laughs> it looks like, like this. It looks like, like a flat yeah, line. Yeah, like an yeah, yeah. exponential curve. Um, yeah. So uh, I definitely try to bootstrap people by talking about pick up what they put down, like, like uh, focus on organic uh, interactions with individuals rather than building up a general faceless audience. Yeah. Uh, because then you start to not care about numbers because you only care about, did I have a good interaction or not? Yeah. Uh, and you yeah. build up enough of those over time, then you will get numbers. But yep. if that, if you start out with that as your goal, um, I don't think you, you have the right mindset to, to achieve the, the results that you want. Yeah. That's great advice. <laughs> this is all right, man. Swix, this is great. Thanks so much for, for being on the show. Uh, um, thanks so much for having me. I, I've been enjoying the podcast and, uh, I'm, I'm just glad that you invited me on because this is, uh, uh, I, I love having chats like this. 
The Sourcegraph Podcast is a production of Sourcegraph, the universal code search engine, which gives you fast and expressive search over the world of code you care about. Sourcegraph also provides code navigation abilities, like jump to dev and references in code review, and integrates seamlessly with your code host, whether you're working in open source or on a big, hairy enterprise code base. To learn more, visit sourcegraph.com. See you next time.